Hi, friends and colleagues. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music. Today on our podcast, episode number 82, I am talking to special guest Libby Weeble. Now, Libby is a traveling teacher. That's right. She goes to people's homes and provides music lessons. Now, today, Libby is sharing all of the ins and outs, the pros and cons, some of the things she would have liked to have known when she got started, and ways that she is creating an amazing community within her conceptual teaching studio. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast, teaching strategies and resources for voice teachers working with young singers. Now, here's your host, Nikki Loney. Welcome to the podcast, Libby Weeble. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm on spring break right now, and it's nice to have like a little bit of a little bit of downtime for a few days before Easter comes. Oh my goodness. Well, you are, like many of my colleagues, a super busy musician. Not only are you a traveling teacher, but you also are um, the music minister at your church. Yeah. So this is Holy Week, and how dare I contact you? <laughs> I know. I almost suggest we do it next week, but I was just really excited to chat. No, oh. I have a couple of days. We'll get heavy into some practicing tonight, but uh, the next few days are going to be crazy. Well, I'm really, I'm really happy that you're here because uh, you have some information that I think many of my listeners will really appreciate. So today, today we're talking about being a traveling teacher. You have a wonderful business where you go into people's homes and teach them. And uh, I'm, I, I'm really excited to hear about how you got started with this and how you make it work because you love, you love going to people's homes. I really do. I, I really, at this point, have no desire to have my own studio space. Yeah, I love other people's homes. <laughs> <laughs> well, but be before we no, I love that. Before we dive into it, can you give everybody a little bit of a background because you are such a such an established musician. You're doing so many things, but give everybody a little bit of how you got started and how you transitioned from uh, uh, from performing into teaching. So, give everybody a little little bit of your story. Well, let's see. I started teaching piano when I was 15 years old. Wow. Um, it was way too early, but at the same time, now I get to count those years. <laughs> and <laughs> I learned I learned a whole lot. And I have had a studio um, since then. I don't think I've ever gone for more than three or four months without teaching. Mm -hmm. So whether it's been just two students or I think I have 26 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always had students. It's just, I just really love it. Um, right now I teach piano, voice, uh, ukulele group classes, guitar. I teach a lot of music theory. Mm. In fact, I had a, I'd had a dream last night that we were, that you switched it up on me and you were said, no, no, we're going to talk about music theory today. <laughs> <laughs> so in my dream, I was scrambling to put together thoughts on that, but um, so, <laughs> well, we can, if you want, we could, we could change this topic <laughs> another day. Um, and I also teach some songwriting Oh, and I just, um, I love teaching when I moved to the Washington DC area. Um, it's expensive to live here mm. and it's expensive to have space here. Right. And I tried teaching out of um, apartments I was renting, and it just was not working. Mm -hmm. It just always felt kind of off. And so somebody asked me if I would travel to them. Right. And I thought, okay, we'll give it a try. And it works. Wow. They had a beautiful setup in their home. It was far superior to what I had. Mm -hmm. And so it, it worked really well. So then I started actually advertising myself as a traveling teacher and I was able to build my studio that way. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the niche that sort of got me in and established in this area because we are just inundated with teachers um, of all instruments. There's just right. tons of us. 
Um, and that was one thing that kind of set me apart, that I was willing to do this and that I was good at it. I just want to say, this is just an aside, uh, you were probably the first American friend I have that said niche instead of niche. Oh, really? <laughs> maybe it's because I'm from, maybe I was I'm originally from Wisconsin. Oh, okay. And yeah, so we, were, like, we were far up north. We're kindred yeah, spirits. We were, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so when you when you started teaching out of someone's home and you realized, oh, this, this is actually going to give me an, a competitive advantage, how did you go about building your business of, of going to people's homes? Well, the one thing I realized was that I had to be careful about location. Mm. Um, in the, the Washington, D.C. area, I mean, I'm actually in Virginia. Okay. And my students are in Alexandria and Arlington. Okay. But from where I live and from where my students are, you can be in the district um, in about 10 minutes or less. Okay. And so it really is a suburb of D.C., like traffic can be horrible. Right. You can end up, you know, short drives can take you 20 minutes, mm. like short, like several blocks long. So I knew I had to be careful about location. So the first thing that I did is I went, I loved the family that I was uh, teaching for. Mm -hmm. And, um, I asked them for a copy of their, uh, community newsletter for their, um, homeowners association. Oh, wow. And that's where I placed my ads because I was like, there've got to be other people in this community who would like lessons. And I was really successful in getting people in that exact location. Then I did go to a couple of other communities and I advertised in their newsletters. That's smart marketing. And that was, that was how I built up the location mm -hmm. that worked. Mm -hmm. And eventually um, people started referring me and then I had to be more careful because, you know, they'd refer me to their friend, but their friend was, you know, too far away for me to manage to get there. Right. So what's the largest commute between families that you have? So you finish one lesson and how, how soon do you go to the next house? I structure it so that I have 15 minutes between lessons. Wow. So on an average day, I will do uh, maybe six lessons. And in between each one, um, I have 15 minutes, mm. except I do build in one longer break. So I can eat and so I can go to the bathroom, which is an issue when you're traveling. Sure. Um, so that I can um, also, if I get a parent that I have to talk to and it takes me 10, 15 minutes to talk to that parent or whatever, right. um, I have that buffer time built in. Okay. And okay. then all of my students know that their lessons, they have a lesson start time, but that lesson will start within 20 minutes of that time. If okay. I'm ever going to be more than 20 minutes late, I let them know. Okay. But I just 20 minutes is what I tell them. Like I could be up to 20 minutes late. Okay. And they understand that because of traffic in the area. They do. Yeah, nice. they do. And they're all excited about the convenience of them not having to be out in that traffic. So it works. Now, I, in my, in many years ago, I did do a little bit of traveling and uh, there were some families that it just worked out beautifully. Um, they had a beautiful setup, <laughs> nice pianos, um, a room where you weren't distracted by other people. Um, what? And then I had families that did not have the setup. How do you how do you set up your families for success for home lessons? Because they have to have certain things in place. They do. For uh, piano lessons, they need to have a decent instrument, and I give them specifications on that. Mm -hmm. um, for voice lessons, I don't require that they have a piano. Mm -hmm. I do require that they have some kind of keyboard. Right. So it doesn't have to necessarily be 88 keys or whatever, but it has to be enough that I can help them pound out melodies sure. or that we can play some simple warm-ups and that kind of thing. So they need to have that in place. Mm -hmm. And then I also ask that the kids have their own music stand so that I don't need to travel with a music stand. Nice. Um, and 
for the most part, I don't have a lot of trouble uh, with noise and various things in the house because um, I just really established that at the interview that we need a place that's set aside from the rest of the family where we're not going to get the the in and out traffic. Right. Um, and I just really established that is like this is this is part of our setup, and they know that from the interview. Mm, okay, I want to talk about your interview because it sounds like you're doing a very good job of screening your students and finding your ideal client, which I think is probably the key to your success. I I think it is. Yeah. So everybody um, in my studio has a free interview and okay. I do it for free because I need to know that it's going to work for my route, mm. that it's going to work for um the type of student that I'm interested in, mm -hmm. that their setup or their willingness to provide a setup is going to work. I need to know that all these things are in place. And so I really, I go in, I have a copy of my policies. I just sort of check them off and go down the list of this is what you need. This is what we do. This is how we do it. I have a fair number of people who decide that I'm not the right teacher for them. Oh, so they make that call. Some of the time they do. And mm -hmm. then I have a handful of people and I'm working mostly on referrals right now. Right. So I don't get quite as many people right now, but uh, I have some people who I decide I'm not the right teacher for them. Mm. And then I know that there's another traveling studio near me um, that I will sometimes refer them to, just, you know, because that might be a better fit. Mm. Um, or I refer them to a studio teacher. I tell them that this is a better fit for you. I love that you have a community of people that you can refer out to. Isn't it nice? Isn't it nice when you can say, I'm not good for you, but I have somebody who might be able to work with you? It's wonderful. Mm. Yeah, it's great because it just, I think one of the most important things that I have to do to make my business work is to be able to set boundaries with clients. Yes. And, um, and it's wonderful when your boundary setting can include another option for them. I think it takes the ickiness out of, yeah, I don't really want to work with you. <laughs> it does. Um, and I have had a few situations where it hasn't been a, there hasn't been anything explicit that came up in the interview. Mm. But I just get this gut feeling that this is not a house that I want to be in right now. Ooh. And... Um, and I hate to say it, but sometimes that kind of thing happens and it's just a gut feeling. And so I've just turned those people down and them I usually refer to a studio because if I don't feel safe or right or whatever about being there, then, um, then somebody else won't either. But I'm really glad you brought that up about being safe. Cause if, if you're going into people's homes, you just never know. I think, yeah, what would what are your guidelines for that for somebody who's listening who's thinking this might be for me but what are some of the guidelines so i think um the biggest thing is just listening to your gut mm. sometimes there's uh one of the beauties of what i do is that um the parents don't have to be home mm -hmm. um and a lot of times there'll be a nanny or a sitter or somebody there Okay. But if a student is old enough to stay home alone, mm -hmm. um, then as long as the parent is okay with it and there's a way for me to reach the parent, then I it's fine with me to be there alone with the student. Okay. But if you ever feel icky about that, if you ever feel like this is not, this doesn't feel right, or you don't trust that situation for any reason, being alone with a student mm -hmm. or being with a parent, uh, like the other parent, if you only interviewed with one parent, or um, if mm -hmm. there's uh, a nanny that you just don't feel right about, whatever. If there's somebody else in the house that you don't feel right about, that's that's a good reason to um, to even after you've established lessons to either reevaluate or even call it off if need be. Yeah, safety first, right? Safety. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of it is just common sense kind of, you know, like I make sure I have my phone available all mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. um, I make sure that there's a safe place for me to go in and out. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, one thing just for the sake of, well, all kinds of things, I hate to have to say it, but I never, never teach in a student's bedroom. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Kids will have like their keyboard is in their bedroom. Right. And um, 
it just, it doesn't look good for anybody. And it just, even if there is, even if there would never be any kind of improper kind of thing going on, um, it just, it just doesn't look good and it doesn't feel good. No. You know, it just feels really awkward. So, you know, I did, um, some Skype lessons recently because we had so many blizzards and I want to talk to you about weather in a second, but even doing a Skype lesson, looking in on one of my students' bedrooms did not feel right. Yeah, it's just, it's a boundary. Yeah, I just, it was like, it. yeah, I didn't feel comfortable. And I was like, I don't really want to see your messy bedroom or <laughs> any of that <laughs> going on. But uh, now that leads me to my next question. We've had, and I know you've experienced it too, we had one of the most nasty, horrible winters. I know you got tons of snow. I think you guys got more snow than we did up here in Canada. So what do you do when you get a snow day or the weather or driving is just so bad? How do you handle that? Well, in my younger days, sometimes <laughs> I would trek out and do it anyway. Wow. And um, that was stupid. That was just plain <laughs> dumb, and I don't recommend it. Okay. Um, what I do now is, especially now that I've had some experience taking lessons over a video, mm-hmm. um, is I offer them a video lesson. Okay. And a lot of people will take me up on that. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a few families who that just doesn't work so well for, or they have a really strong preference not to do it that way. So for families that don't want a video lesson, um, I will give them a makeup credit. Mm -hmm. And then the way that I structure my studio, there's plenty of time that I have set aside for makeup. So like I set aside um, the last two weeks of May. Oh, for okay. makeup lessons mm-hmm. so that they can use their makeup credits during those. Mm-hmm. They can also use their makeup credits over the summer because the summer schedule is established very differently than the school year schedule. Right. Um, so I don't feel resentful about, oh, I have to give up my Saturday now. Right. But I can still offer them, they aren't losing time with their lesson and, um, and everybody feels safe. Nice. Now, in, in a teaching studio, like like where people either come to your home or in my case, they come to my teaching studio, uh, like teachers are really working hard to build a sense of community. And, and in our, we were talking prior, you were talking that even though you go to people's homes, this is something that's really important to you. So I would love for you to share with everybody how you create that sense of community even though you're traveling to and from? That is one of the things that is most important to me about my studio. And I feel really good about the community we've built, that we've built. Um, it started out just by a shift in my language. Hmm. So rather than um, just being like, I'm your teacher or whatever, I would say, you are part of the studio. Nice. And at first, people had a little bit of a hard time with it because they'd be like, what studio, where is the building? And so, (laughs) and some of the, some of the students have been around a while now kind of make fun of me for saying this, but it's a conceptual studio. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and it, but it really is, you know, you're part of this thing that is bigger than you. And I think that's an important human thing, Mm -hmm. um, just being part of something bigger than yourself. So it started with this this switch in language. And then I make sure that there are events for the studio. So we have big recitals. Um, We have, at the end of the year, we have a big barbecue picnic where we rent out a park shelter and everybody gets to meet one another and, you know, things like that. I love that. Um, yeah. And it's no pressure about performing at that picnic. It is just a picnic. Right. And then I get families who've referred each other so they know each other. Mm. Um, I try to uh, match up duet partners. Okay. And I know that sounds a little bit daunting when you're going to people's houses, but I have a lot of people in the same neighborhoods just because of how I've established all of this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I tell them, there's another little girl I teach in your neighborhood who would just be perfect to sing this with you. Or 
how would you like to work on your theory assignment with another little boy who is studying the same thing? And so then we will do like a joint lesson. And so in that case, there is a little bit of driving involved. Like somebody has to get one kid to the other person's house. But in the case of like duets, um, they'll do one lesson at Susie's house and then one lesson at uh, Katie's house. And so they'll just kind of alternate. That sounds um, fun. It really is. And it gives them a chance to meet other students who are doing the same thing. So I just remember when I was growing up and taking lessons, there was always this student who was ahead of me. And I would always like try and get there just a couple minutes early so that I could hear the end of her lesson. <laughs> and, you know, there was that sense of community there. Well, you know, we have to build it in other ways. Um, I require all my students to do a certain amount of theory um, work and uh, exams. And so we have theory uh, group um, review days. And this year, because of the snow and everything, we actually did our group review days on Zoom. Mm Mm-hmm. So I would have four or five kids who are all studying the same theory thing um, all on Zoom together in a meeting with me. And I would share my screen and teach them the concepts and we'd all have questions and stuff. And it was really fun just to sort of see each other and um, and uh, just be able to know that there's other kids who are doing the same thing. I love that. I love how you're having little Zoom meetings with your theory students. Yeah, it's the most fun. I love it. How do you how do you handle recitals with a traveling studio? So we have a couple of recitals a year where I do rent out a space and we use the space. Um, but occasionally that's just really hard to do. And I think that's hard for anybody to do because um, kids are busy. Teachers are busy. Sure. And so um, a few years ago at Christmas, we did a really fun thing. I knew just based on when in the week Christmas fell and it just was not going to work out for us to have a dedicated holiday recital. So what I did is I took a video of each kid performing their holiday piece Mm -hmm. at home um, in their own environments. And then I set up a YouTube playlist Oh, of fun. all of these videos. Yeah, all these videos of the kids performing their pieces. And I put them in, you know, what would have been a nice recital order. And then families could go and just click and watch all the pieces. I love that. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's it was just really fun. And I think we're going to do another one this spring because the spring has run away from me. And so I think we're going to do another one coming up here. But it's just... Again, it's another way for students to see the other students and to see and hear and know that they're, uh, they've got people who are doing the same thing as them. That is a great idea. And really, it does it take up too much of your time like to do a video and throw it into a YouTube play? Yeah, hardly any time at all. Right? I mean, yeah. And that's great for the parents, too, because it gives them a, a, you know, a chance to, to celebrate their, their student, their child's you know, progress. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it works out really well. And I wouldn't want to do all of the performances that way, but it's just another way that people can see the community around them. Beautiful. Now, when you're doing those playlists, do you make them public or private? Uh, I usually do the option where it's, um, you have to have the link given okay. to you so yeah. it's like hidden I think or whatever hidden that's it yeah yeah okay. um that's what I typically do I like so that. I like that idea you know that might be fun even for a, a studio teacher like me it'd just be like I think so mm, I like yeah that. yeah it's really fun and I mean I also use videos like that just to show other students like hey you know Bobby played this last week or you know oh instead of me performing this for you so you can hear what it sounds like why don't we listen to Jesse do it oh, and so then I'll pull nice. up that video that's and nice. a lot of those are just local that I have on my iPad but um I love that. you know it, it exposes them. And- Great tip. Great strategy. I love that. Now, um, I'm sure 
some of my listeners would really like to know how you go about setting your fee structure. Like if we are giving people the convenience of coming to their home, I think it's we would factor that into the fees that we're charging. So how did you go about that when you were setting up your business? So it took me a while to get uh, the setup that I like. Okay. And I went through a couple of different things. So the one thing that I would not recommend is not charging for your traveling. Right. <laughs> um, years ago, <laughs> years ago, I didn't. And um, and it was partly because I felt like, oh, I'm new in this area. And, oh, I just, you know, maybe I'm not as qualified as other teachers. And all of these things, all of this stupid imposter syndrome that is very real. And you just have to tame it in your brain however you have to do it. I went through um, a period then where I just hiked up my rates. Mm. But I also was like, okay, well, I'm going to charge you X amount per family to travel to your house. Don't do that. Right. Don't do that. Um, because then it becomes, you know, well, you're teaching five children in the family and you get char- you charge an extra. I think at the time I was charging an extra ten dollars for a travel fee. OK. And and I don't remember if that was per lesson or per month or whatever. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But it was not enough. I don't like the idea of a travel fee at all. Okay. Since my studio is built this way, it's all packaged into one thing. Okay. So I sat down and I figured out I can teach approximately 25% more students if I'm not traveling. Ah. So I could, you know, in all that time that I'm spending on the road, I could teach approximately 25% more. Okay. And so my students in their fees need to make up for that 25%. Bravo. Um, and that's just, that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. And then I did go ahead and look at like what other teachers are charging in this area. And, Mm -hmm. um, but really what I've come to is just building it right in. Um, so my lessons cost 25% more and then some, um, because, you know, in recent years and with great business coaching and things, I've realized that really I'm worth more than that 25% more because I spend more time. Um, well, my time is worth more than that. Nice. I love, I love these stories. I love it. Yeah. So I just, I just avoid the travel question altogether because mm-hmm. parents will sometimes ask, oh, well, would it be, you know, if we came to you and I say, well, first of all, nobody comes to me. I don't have a space that I teach in. It's just not a question. You know, this is just how it's structured. This is how my business runs. Yeah. Now, how do you, how do you manage like uh, your, um, your books, your song books or music or the resources that they're using? Did they, did they purchase <laughs> them? Do you purchase them? Do you charge a fee for all of this? So built into their lesson fees, they have a book fee. I love it. Um, and I used to charge, you know, oh, well, Susie got, you know, 100 great songs for teen vocalists. And, you know, Katie got, you know, this book. And it was too much to keep track of that. Plus, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you get a book for a student and it's not the right fit. And so then I'd have to refund and then I have to, it was just a mess. So a couple of years ago, I started just charging a book fee. And for that fee, I will purchase whatever music the student needs. I love it. Now, a lot of times what I will do is I will be with the student and I will say, okay, your next book that you need is this one. Mm -hmm. And I will go on to Amazon. I will order it and I will have it shipped to that student's house. Oh, you drop ship it. I love it. It just, you know, sometimes I do. I mean, I do. We have a fabulous local music store and I will go there too and get things there. Mm -hmm. um, And then I just bring it with me. Right. But if a student needs something and I know it's best to order it online, I will send it straight to their house. Then I don't have to deal with it. That's beautiful. Well, my executive function is not always the best. So it's just better for me to be hands off. I think that's a struggle. Whether you're a traveling teacher or whether people come to you, I started doing it. I don't know. I might have I might have stolen the idea from you. I started charging um, a music fee 
and I just take care of it all because, you know, sending people to the local music store is they, oh, I didn't get to the store and, or they pick up the wrong, they pick up the wrong book. Yeah, they do. And then you got to send them back. And that used to happen when I taught in a music store, people would go downstairs and buy the wrong book. And then I'd have to walk (laughs) down to the music store with them and go, "Mm, this is the book we need, right? So, yeah. Well, and then I also have copies of the major books that I use Mm -hmm. and I have them and they just kind of live in my car. Um, (laughs) My car is my office. Yes. Um, If people want to ride with me in my car, they have to give me advance notice because honestly, between the dog having the (laughs) backseat and then the the far back, I have a hatchback, the far back (laughs) is like books and books and books and then the front seat is kind of like all the things I need you're teaching that day and then food and like bags of stuff I mean my car really is my office so I do have copies of the books that the students need Mm -hmm. I also make heavy use of my iPad Mm. in fact I sometimes wonder how I taught without my iPad right but I am quick to scan things in, mm-hmm. or I have a huge library from, I belong to music note or I, um, order from musicnotes.com. I belong mm-hmm. to see music direct. Um, if something is available digitally, I will nine times out of 10 get it digital so that nice. I can just carry just the iPad. And then if I have uh, studio licensed things, and mm. this is mostly for like theory stuff or sure. for uh, piano, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times families are like, oh, it's no big deal to print this. Okay. And I will just, they have their printers on Wi-Fi and I oh. will just print it straight to their printer and boom, we have our piece. That is cool. Yeah. That is using technology so beautifully. It's really helpful. And then a lot of students, um, our schools have a one-to-one iPad program here. Mm. Um, so a lot of students have their own iPads and um I will also help them set up digital things if they want to so that they can keep their stuff digital too. I love that. Now for somebody, for somebody that's thinking about getting into the traveling uh, teacher um, routine, what are some of the, some of the things you wish you knew when you got started? Well, okay. I'll address that. But the first thing I have to say is for somebody thinking about traveling, If you're doing it just because a client wants you to do it, Hmm. don't do it. If you're doing it just because one person asks you and you don't want to to like lose that person, don't do it Hmm. because you will resent it. Um, It's just, it's, it's hard and it's different, Mm -hmm. but um, let's see things that I wish I knew. Can I just share with you before you, before you tell people that? That's exactly what happened to me. That's exactly what happened to me. This is way back in my early years of <laughs> teaching, and it was a family that I really liked, and I didn't want to lose them, and I was teaching two of them, and it worked for a little while, but after a while, I I was, it didn't work, and it, I did end up really not liking that family anymore. I resented them for making me follow them around because they'd also moved houses and oh. moved further away, and I was like, well, and yeah. I thank you for sharing that. That's very good advice. Well, I just, you know, it, it does become an issue. And, I, you know, however people need to do it, learning to set boundaries on your time mm. and on your energy and just everything about um, the teaching experience, I think is super important. Mm-hmm. So whether people, you know, read self-help books or go to therapy or some people I hear are really good at that naturally. I was not one of them. <laughs> but, <laughs> but learning to set boundaries is just huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's not a mean thing. It's no. not, you know, that you're being nasty to somebody by saying, no, I can't do that for you. Mm-hmm. It's, I can't do that for you because you won't get the best from me. I love what you just said there. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's just, 
and it's kind of a mind, it's a shift. And I, that's something that I've developed over. I mean, I've been travel teaching for over 15 years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was kind of a shift that I had to make. All right. Things I wish I knew. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, bags, bags and bags and organization. Oh. I have so many bags of things and I used to just have one big bag and I would haul it into everybody's house. Mm. Well, you know what? You hurt yourself if you do that, especially because books are big and heavy and then you're sure. just not really organized. I wish I had been told from the beginning, only bring the things into that house that you need for those students. So for those students, you may need three books, your iPad. Uh, I have a pencil bag that is just like the best thing ever uh, to organize all my pens and pencils. And, you know, and that's it. That's all you need for that family. The next family might need no new books, but you want your iPad and a box of crayons. Nice. You know, and it's sort of like it forces you to think about what you need. Um, and it's no big deal if you have to run out to the car. I was just going to ask you that, like, how often do you have to scoot out to the car and then come back in? At least once a week. But but it's no big deal. I'll say to the student, okay, you work on this theory thing, and by the time you're done, I'll be back with the book or whatever. The students get to see that you're human in that way. They get to see that, Mm -hmm. like, you know you forget things or we change directions or, you know, and I feel like it just develops an interesting kind of relationship with the students. Nice. All right. I wish somebody had told me that I needed to plan out where I go to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's silly. Well, it sounds silly, but the first couple of years, I would just hold it all day. Oh, no, that's <laughs> so not good horrible. for you. It's not good for you. It's uncomfortable. And then I'd be like, but, but I don't want to go in so-and-so's house. Or it just feels like you're crossing a line sometimes mm-hmm. in certain families' houses. Or they sort of restrict, like you, you walk in the door and the music room is to the left. And that's it. And then you go out the front door and there's no... You know, Mm -hmm. I think I do think that most families, if you asked them to use their bathroom, would be like, oh, yeah, no problem. But at the same time, sometimes that just doesn't feel comfortable in that relationship. So I know where every 7-Eleven is that has a bathroom. (laughs) I know where every library is that has a bathroom. Um, 7-Eleven and libraries are my my biggest places to go. Your pit stops. Yep, pretty Mm much. And then... I think the biggest thing I've had to learn is how to be flexible. Okay. And also to train my families to be flexible too. It is a beautiful day when everything works on schedule and I can teach, travel, teach, travel, teach, travel and eat, travel, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's beautiful when it all works out, Mm -hmm. but things happen. Sure. You know, there's road construction. Or you need to stay and talk with a parent or the kid is late getting in from the bus or Uh, a whole bunch of things happen and you have to decide what's your fault and what's your responsibility and what's not. Mm -hmm. And um, occasionally I will have to cut a lesson a little bit short. Okay. And then, of course, I make up the time um, and I use my music staff and their – their system for doing uh, makeup credits for all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And now for the My Music Staff Minute. Hey everyone, Katrina here, and today we're talking about the benefits of accepting online payments. Did you know that choosing to accept online payments means you can get paid twice as fast? Lots of music teachers still accept cash and checks only, but fewer people carry cash or have a checkbook at all. If your clients usually carry credit cards instead, you should offer more convenient payment options because it leaves a family with far fewer reasons not to pay. Today, there are numerous ways to accept online payments and there are a lot of advantages. It lends your studio the legitimacy of an established business. Restricting tuition payments to cash-only purchases may raise some eyebrows. Most importantly, this saves time for everyone involved. Your families won't have to make a special trip to the bank for cash, you won't need to go deposit a check, and you won't need to manually record payments in your accounting system. Most online payment systems will automatically record your received payments as well. My music staff, for example, 
uses Stripe and PayPal to accept online payments and auto-record transactions. You can save time and make sure that your cash flow is uninterrupted using online payments. Bank transfers and credit card payments can be deposited in your account within days, while waiting for checks to clear can be a time-consuming process. Be notified instantly when an online payment fails and never deal with a bounced check again. Ultimately, you are providing a pleasant, no-hassle experience for your clients when providing the choice of cash, check, or credit card. It's an unspoken expectation that a business will accept credit cards as a form of payment. How many businesses nowadays don't accept them? My Music Staff integrates with PayPal and Stripe to accept online credit card payments from your families. This enables them to pay from the comfort of their own home. They can also opt in for auto pay. This means you get paid the instant you send an invoice to them, and it doesn't get much easier than that. Try a My Music Staff 30-day free trial today at www.mymusicstaff.com. For more tips and tricks, tune in next week to the My Music Staff Minute, exclusively on the Full Voice Podcast. I make up the time um, and I use my music staff and their um, their system for doing uh, makeup credits for all sure. of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I may be 15 minutes late to somebody's house one day. Mm-hmm. I try not to, but it may happen. And sure. so it's just sort of like not letting myself get frazzled about that. Like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I'm so, you know, things are blah, blah, blah. Right. And that's exactly that's exactly what I sound like. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> but um but just sort of like taking a breath, taking a moment, and then going into the house fresh. Like um, you know, and the families just have learned to accept that that's the reason. And then the families in turn have also learned that if I'm going to be too late for them to manage, that they have the freedom to say, okay, I really can't do this. And because I know that that's my fault, um, well, faults, I'm doing air quotes here, Mm -hmm. but my faults for hitting traffic or for whatever thing that happened in that day to get me off schedule, um, then I do offer them a credit for that. Mm -hmm. And I just have learned that I need to be flexible in that and build my annual schedule flexibly so that I can do that without feeling resentful. Right. So... I love how more and more teachers are, are doing that. We look at our year, we we schedule in those flex, I call them flex weeks, I don't know what you call them, so that parents aren't stressed out about. Yeah. Like that, that was one of the, like explaining the new tuition-based structure uh, was not as difficult as I thought because I had to educate them about, look, don't worry if you get sick or don't worry if you go on vacation because there's time within the schedule that you can come in. And there, that just, that just alleviates so much tension for a lot of families. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And it also, you know, it helps when I have, you know, my last student of the night starts her lesson. So I teach late into the evening. My last student of the night right now um, starts at 830. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but there's a big difference between 8.30 and 8.45. Sure. You know, it's, it's only 15 minutes, but if I get off at that point in the night, then sometimes that family will opt to do it at a different time. Sure. And occasionally if I have too many of those where like I had, you know, there'll be big, huge construction projects and I will consistently be late for everybody for two weeks. <laughs> And, um, in those cases, then I will, um, especially arrange some extra time to work with those students. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's this trust kind of thing where the students trust that I'm not going to, you know, short them, the family, it's more the parents and the families trust that I'm not going to short them on time or whatever. And, and we just all make it work. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here. There is sometimes a misunderstanding or a an assumption that people that are traveling and to people's homes aren't as qualified what do you what what do you say to that um uh, that's bogus right um it really is and that's an attitude that i have come up against um more with other teachers Mm. than i have 
with uh, students and their families. It's true that there are some teachers who travel who are not as qualified as others. Mm-hmm. It's true that there are some studio teachers who are not as qualified as others. Exactly. And it's also true that not every teacher is a fit for every student. So beyond being qualified, it's just, it may not be the right fit. Right. Um, I have just as many qualifications as a teacher who has a studio space. I just don't have shelves. Right. You know, that's really the big difference. Um, I have learned to adjust to other people's spaces. Mm -hmm. I've learned to set up the environment how I want it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that's not for everybody. Right. Some people don't want to say to a family, hey, can you make sure you give your dog a bone before the lesson starts (laughs) so he's not jumping all over the students? Right. Or me, you know, or some people don't want to deal with, you know, having to ask the family, hey, can we close that door during the lesson just so that we don't get the noise of the kitchen? Mm. I don't look at that as making me less because I don't have this environment that's already set up. Mm -hmm. I look at it as me just having the skill to be able to ask for what I need. That's beautiful. I think it's important that we as teachers realize that we need to support each other um, in whatever environment we teach in. Yes. And you're going to, yeah, you're going to find people who are more or less qualified Mm -hmm. and even beyond qualifications, you're going to find people who have um, uh, their goals for their teaching studio, um, whether you're that are different, whether you're traveling to them or they're traveling to you. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just a matter of finding a teacher that fits for you. I love that. I love that. You know, I want to go back to what we said towards the beginning of the podcast um, about, you know, like you have this community of people, both traveling teachers and studio teachers. And when you recognize that somebody's not your ideal client, you're happy to refer out. So in a in a way you are supporting teachers and why would they not do the same for you? I mean, we really can't serve every person in our community. So we can do so much more when we, when we share the love and share the students. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Awesome. I, 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 this has been so, so such good information. Now, before you go, I I warned you about this. (laughs) now the warm-up of the week. (laughs) (laughs) So we have a new feature on the podcast because, you know, we all have really fun ideas for vocal warm-ups. So vocal warm-up of the week from uh, Libby Weeble. What's your warm-up that's uh, rocking your studio this this, uh, week? Okay. Um, I use this when I have somebody who is really low energy and we need to get the energy up. Hmm. I use this both with private students and with the choir I direct. Nice. Um, so we start out slow. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. And then I'll move them up by half steps. Right. And then we get going a little faster, a little oh. faster until we're like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. Oh, I love that. And you can do that for just a couple minutes and it just really, it makes them think because <laughs> it's it. harder to do than you think. And it really gets the tongue and the teeth and the lips and all oh that going. Goodness. So we have fun with that and it's really great to get energy up. I, I am so stealing that, Libby. I'm going to put that, <laughs> I'm going to make my kids do that this week. I'm going to put it on my Instagram account. That was, that, I like that. That is hard. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, it's good. Thank you. And that XYZ, or I guess you would say XYZ. Right? I always say Z. It just rhymes. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, Libby, thank you so much for sharing your unique business. And I am, it's so inspiring. I love how you've set up your boundaries, your business, you've found your ideal clients, and you've got uh, some really great um, technology going on and using technology and resources. And I, it's so inspiring. Now, I always ask my guests, if somebody has questions about this, you're a member of the Voice Teachers for Young Singers, a Facebook group. I am. Yeah. So, so you can absolutely find me there. Okay. So we're, I'll put, but I'll, would you be okay if anyone wanted to reach out to you? Absolutely. Yes. Um, you can email me uh, at libbyweevil at gmail.com. Okay. I'm going to put that um, on our think- podcast page. Yeah, and I have a website that is undergoing some construction, but it's there. It's a little ugly right now, but it's it's will look better in a few weeks. Sure, but um, <laughs> after Holy Week, uh, but exactly after Holy Week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you can also reach me through my website. Oh, thank you so much. I have been looking forward to speaking to you for such a long time, and this is such great information. Thank you for sharing this with my guests. And well, this I, has been just a blast. So well, I, this has been great. Awesome. A very special thank you to Libby for a wonderful conversation today. I want to take a moment and thank the fine people at My Music Staff for their business tips, their weekly business tips. And I would also like to say thank you to an Amazon customer who left us a five-star review. And uh, this is what they had to say. My students love full voice. I started using the full voice music workbooks and curriculum with my private voice students. I love the way the workbooks are laid out and my students are loving them and learning a lot. I use the warm-up and technical exercise cards to review and test their knowledge. I strongly recommend this curriculum if you teach young beginning voice students. Thank you so much. We work so hard to make sure that the kids are having fun in our voice lessons. That is one of our goals and agendas, evil agendas, here at Full Voice Music, that uh, the kids are having fun. So thank you for sharing that on uh, our Amazon page. If you did not know, Full Voice Workbooks, all of our resources are now available on Amazon. And for those of you in the United Kingdom who prefer to use terminologies like crotchet and quaver, we now have the UK versions of our workbook. So please check those out. As always, I am wishing you inspired teaching and happy singing. Thank you for listening to the Full Voice Podcast. For more information and teacher resources, please visit our website at thefullvoice.com. Made by Canoe Music. Canoe Music.ca